Well, we're not going to have a whole lot of time this morning, but we'll use our time as wisely as we can. Uh, if you'd be opening your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, we're down about verse 10, I think is where we left off last week. If you will remember last week we were talking about uh, the second coming and those who will be punished uh, in verse 8 and then the, the punishment they will suffer eternal ruin, ex- exclusion from the face of God, from the splendor of his might. Um, we talked at we talked a little bit about being excluded from the face of God, what that means, uh, the darkness from the, the the darkness being separated from the light. Um, there are two things that are going to happen, according to uh, Paul in in verse ten. Um, they'll suffer eternal ruin, exclusion from the face of God, from the splendor of His might, and then two things that will happen to the faithful. If you're if you've been faithful to God. Uh, he will come, Jesus will come to be honored among the saints. Um, he, will come to be, uh, he will come to be honored among the saints. And secondly, he will be admired in that day by all who have believed. So uh, two additional rewards uh, that Jesus will uh, accrue on that day is the honoring uh, of the saints and then be admired in the day by all those who believed. Our testimony to you uh, was believed, Paul says. So he closes out chapter 1, and uh, let's see, John 17, 10, for verse 10, um, he'll, become, he'll come to be honored among the saints, John 17, 10. I wrote that down, so it must be something I wanted to say something about. Let me look at that real quick. Uh, all my, uh, Jesus says, all my things are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are, and I am coming to you, Holy Father, keep in your name, those who you gave me, that they may be one, even as we are one. And so as he comes to be honored among the saints, to be admired by those who've believed, um, these are things that we can rely on. He says that testimony can be believed. Uh, he finishes up the first chapter by saying, we pray, we pray this for you always. We thank our God. I'm sorry. We pray this for you always, that our God may count you worthy of his calling and fulfill every desire of goodness and work of faith with power that the name of our Lord Jesus may be honored among you and you in him according to the grace of our God and our, of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he, he finishes this out by saying, the Lord is coming again. There are things that will happen when he comes. And he's talked about those, some of those in 1 Thessalonians. But the things, that, the things that he wants them to remember is that he is praying for them always, that God may count them worthy of their calling, and they, they, they will fulfill, that God will fulfill every desire of goodness and work of faith uh, with power. And so he closes out that chapter, then begins uh, uh, the second chapter where he switches his tone and he switches the, the message that he's talking to them uh, going back to something that he talked about in 1 Thessalonians. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is a, this is a repetitive theme that this church in Thessalonica was really wrestling with. They were wrestling with the second coming of Christ. They were also wrestling with, as he will allude to here in verses 1 and 2, that there are those who are saying that the Lord has already come. There are those today of the dispensational premillennialists that say Jesus came back in 70 A.D., uh, he came back when the, when, the, when the city of Jerusalem was over, overwhelmed and overtaken by the Romans. Um, this was supposedly uh, when Jesus returned for the second time. And that in itself is just a misreading of Matthew 24, 
where Jesus talks about the destruction of the temple, that not one stone will be left on another. And then he switches. There, there are two topics that he talks about in 24 and 25. And you need to really, you know, we've talked about, I think we've talked about those on occasion, that they need to be, they need to be very clearly separated. One is the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. by the Romans. The second is the second coming of Christ. And the dispensational premillennialists, they'll, they'll just amalgamate all that together and then, you know, make, make statements about something that's, that's not appropriate, it's not biblical. So Paul says, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together with him, we beseech you, brethren, and we use that term again, he uses that term beseech, which is he recommends in the, in the strongest and the most strident terms, we beseech you, brothers, that you not be quickly shaken in mind, nor be alarmed either by a spirit or by a message or by a letter as if from us, as though the day of the Lord has come. And so he's trying to, um, he, he's trying to set the stage for them that, you know, you're hearing a lot of rumors. You're hearing a lot of things that are going on. And don't, don't believe these things because the Lord has not returned yet. And so then he's going to talk about the return from the standpoint of time and within the Christian dispensation. And so what he, what he says is there, there are people probably in, in, that have been among you that have told you things that are just patently untrue. First of all, that the Lord has already returned. Um, secondly, is that there may, have been, there may have been a message, there may have been some kind of a, uh, a spirit that James says, you know, James in, in uh, I think James 4 or 5, try every spirit. And even Paul talks about trying the spirits to make sure they are from God. And so in verse 3 he says, let no one deceive you in any way. Because the apostasy will come first. Now, this is in this is in a, a different translation. So let me read uh, let me read from the New King James version because this is uh, this may make a little more sense. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. Now I'm going to read this in, I'm going to read this entire section. And then we're going to go back and we're going, to, we're going to talk about this because there are some important things that need to be tied into all this. We may not get through all of it today, but we'll scratch the surface of it and then we'll just dig a little deeper uh, to make sure that everybody's clear on this. So we start at verse 3 and we're going to probably go, go down to the 12th verse. So beginning in verse 3, let no one deceive you by any means for that day. What day is that? That day, the day of the Lord, the day the Lord returns, the second coming. For that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, 
God will send them a strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So that's, from my standpoint, this is, this is some pretty heavy stuff. So he's talking to them about a coming apostasy. He's talking about something that is already at work. He's talking to them about something that he's already discussed with him that he does not make us privy to. And so with this in mind, I want you to turn to a couple of other uh, scriptures so we can put some some more like some more meat on the bones here to kind of understand what's going on. So let's first turn to Acts, the 20th chapter. And if you have that beginning at verse five. Uh, of uh, 2 Thessalonians there, write these two scriptures in your margin there that you can use them for easy reference. So the first one is Acts 20, and we'll start at verse 28. Guard yourselves and all of the flock over which the Holy Spirit has placed you as overseers to shepherd the church which he bought with his own blood. So now he's, he's setting the stage for this, and now verse 29. I know... That after I depart, fierce wolves will come among you, not sparing the flock. From you, yourselves, men will arise, teaching error, and will lead away disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch, remembering that for three years, day and night, night and day, with tears, I never stopped warning each one of you. Okay. That's the first part of that's the first part of the message that ties in directly with this. Now the second one, and probably from my standpoint, one of the more important ones is First Timothy, chapter four, and verse one. So this this third scripture ties will tie all three of these together. So he's talking about an apostasy. He's talking about something that is coming in the future. He's talking about something that is going to come from, for the most, within the church. He says, when I leave, grievous wolves will come in among you, denying the faith. All right? So now we go to 1 Timothy 4 and chapter 1, and, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 4, verse 1, and we read the remainder of this one thing, this, uh, this one thing that ties all of this together. The Spirit speaks specifically that in the latter times, so this apostasy is coming in the latter times, some will fall away from the faith, embracing deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. So what is coming? An apostasy is coming. There's going to be a falling away. There's going to be those who fall from the faith. They're going to embrace deceitful spirits. They're going to embrace doctrines of demons. They will speak lies in hypocrisy having their conscience seared, forbidding to marry, abstaining from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Every creature of God is good. When it is received with thanksgiving, nothing is to be rejected. It is set apart by God's teaching and by prayer. All right? So let's take the three of them and take those three passages and put those together to talk about or to, to try and better understand what Paul is talking about here in, in, this, in this upcoming, this apostasy, this man of sin that's going to appear. All right, so if we go back to uh, the second verse. Uh, no, 
Back to verse 3. Let, one, let no one deceive you in any way because the apostasy will come first. Okay, so Christ will not return, Paul is saying. Christ will not return before this apostasy, which has already got its beginnings, will, will start. Or it's, or it's already in it's already in process. So let's step back from this and let's take a look at history and let's see if we can figure out what, what, what he's talking about here. In every church that Paul and the other apostles established, they established what? What did they what did they put in place at every church where they were? We talk about it, we talk about it, we we watched it this morning. What did they put in place? What did they install? They install elders, all right? Now, those elders, in some, in some portions of the Bible, those elders are called bishops. Those are the bishops of the church. That's one of the names. Shepherds, bishops, presbyters, elders, all those names are synonymous with those, the men who are chosen to lead the various congregations, okay? Every church in the New Testament, every church that's established, had elders. If they didn't have elders, in some cases, Paul sent Timothy or someone else back to that church to establish and work with that church to get elders established. So that was a requirement of the early church, just as it's a requirement for us today to have elders. Have you ever attended the Church of Christ that did not have elders? I did. I've attended one congregation, and I only attended it once or twice. They did not have elders. And I did not feel comfortable worshiping with that congregation. So I drove 30 minutes down to Jefferson City and worshiped with a congregation down there that had elders. I didn't feel comfortable doing that. That's not the Bible model. Okay? So all of these churches in the first century all have elderships. Now what happened over time, what happened over time is one of the elders became the lead elder, the head elder he would exert more authority or he would exert more power over the other elders and he would become the head elder. And over time, each of those churches that had those head elders then became <clears throat> the head elder or the bishop for a group of other churches. So you would have one elder among all the churches of Christ, say in Bowling Green, that would have one person that was the head elder. And at the time of... Of, of Paul's writings here, this was something that he began to see. This, now, that's conjecture on my part because he does not tell us what he was already talking to this congregation about. But my fear is that he was telling them there's something, there is something going on at these other large congregations because following down through history, what do we have? We have the amalgamation of all of these congregations to one head elder. So we have a a bishop of Jerusalem, we have a bishop of Rome, and we have a bishop of Antioch. We have these head, we have these head elders who are head over multiple churches, and now things are in such a way that they are not as they are not as as the apostles set them up. And it is very possible that Paul is talking about this in its earliest inception here. Remember, he's writing this in 51 A.D. When does Paul die? When does Paul die? Paul dies in about 63 or 64 A.D. So he's only got about 10 years left to live. 
Who did, who did he die under the rule of? What Roman, what Roman uh, Caesar did he die under? He died under Nero's reign, as did Peter. Peter and Paul both died under Nero's reign shortly before the burning of Rome in 64 A.D., which caused a great persecution to arise among the church. As Nero persecuted the church and others down through history, including Domitian at the time of John, who wrote Revelation, was on the Isle of Patmos because he was there and per- he was being persecuted. He was being, uh, he was being uh, penalized and, and put, on that, put on that island. He was, he was isolated and left there. So what we're seeing here, let no one deceive you in any way because the apostasy will come first. So what is the apostasy? Well, it's the man of lawlessness. It's the son of destruction who will appear. So there's going to be a falling away. If you take the other two scriptures that we read, 1 Timothy 4.1 and Hebrews uh, and, uh, and, and, and John, uh, or in uh, uh, Acts 20, uh, you take those two. Who is the only other person in the Bible that's called a son of perdition? Who is the only other one? Judas. Judas Iscariot is the only other person. I think that's John. I don't know if I wrote that down or not. It's somewhere in John, but he, Jesus calls him the son of perdition. So Judas Iscariot is the only other person referred to in Holy Writ as the son of perdition. <clears throat> so what does, this person, what does this person do when he arises? He opposes and exalts himself above everything that is called God. Or an object of worship. So that he sits in the temple of God proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember? This is a really important point because this is, this is the thing that Paul says. Do you not remember when I was still with you? I was telling you these things. He does not go into any detail about what he was telling them. That is left, that is left as a mystery. That is left as something we're not, we're not given. Now, if we, can, if, we, if we can take history and use it as a parallel to this, there are some parallels with this. But we're not told exactly what was going on. We're told that it's already in place. It's already started. So we know that there are people that would come into the early church and try to exert their influence upon that church or try to change things that, um, that, that were already in place. One of the earliest, some of the earliest, were, uh, you know, uh, infant baptism came about very, very early on. Uh, the taking of the communion was something that, that there were those who arose in, in some of the churches that were trying to, trying to change the way that the, uh, the churches took their uh, communion on the first day of the week. They were taking things that God had commanded us to do, worship items that God had commanded us to do, and they were trying to change those things. And this started very early on. It was was affected in a very powerful way in the early church because these people were were not like people in churches of Christ today who are raised in the church. They did not have the foundation. They did not have the background. Imagine if you had a church filled with very new members some who were not who were not rich in the faith, who were not who, who were not trained to know that hear these things that were that were not right. So you've got a congregation full of, of people that have just been freshly baptized. How easily would it be for someone to come in among them and say things or do things and say, well, that's not what he really meant. This is what we this is what we think you should do. And so this apostasy was already starting. Now you know that 
now you know that which restrains so that you might so that he might appear in his own time. So apparently the mystery of lawlessness, the son of perdition, this this apostasy that's coming is in its very early stages, but God in his providence is is not allowing certain things to happen. Now, those things we're not privy to. Um, maybe that church in Thessalonica was, was privy to it. We're not. He just says, you remember when I was with you, I was talking about these things that are already starting. The mystery of lawlessness is already working. So it's already at work. But only it will only until he who now restrains it is out of the way. So someone is restraining that. And we're not, excuse me, we're not told who's restraining that. But we're told that someone is restraining it. it, it it's very, it, it's most, most likely God is restraining it. He is not allowing this to go forward. Now, why is he not allowing it to go forward? Well, when the lawless one appears, Paul says, and, he, and by the way, when, he, when that lawless one appears, Jesus is going to slay him with the breath of his mouth and will destroy him by the brightness of his coming. So we know, we know the future of what's going to happen to this man of lawlessness, this lawless one. The coming of the lawless one is according to Satan's working. So if we are there, we have a lot of options. Um, this man of sin, the son of perdition, this lawless one, he's not, a, he's not identified at this point. He's not identified as an individual person. He doesn't come right out and say, this person is going, this person I'm identifying as a lawless one. There are a lot of people that, that will talk about this and talk about Antichrist. And we'll talk about Antichrist next week, but let's, let's, let's get some terms straight. Who is the Antichrist? Who is the Antichrist? Who have you heard, who have you heard is the Antichrist? Well, let's see, Nero was the Antichrist. Domitian was the Antichrist. Adolf Hitler was the Antichrist. Um, any Democratic president is the Antichrist? I don't know. I don't know if that's the case or not. I, I, don't, I don't know if that's the case or not. I don't know who, who is Antichrist. Who is Antichrist? Well, I mean, he, he is definitely Antichrist. But Revelation, John talks about the Antichrist. And, and, and Paul talks ex- extensively about the Antichrist. The Antichrist is simply anyone who preaches something other than the gospel. Mike? Right. Anyone who denies that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that person is Antichrist. It's not one individual. It's not one person. You can say it's it's a it's a patterned it's a patterned way of life for those individuals who deny Christ. Yes, they are antichrist. But it's any person who denies that Jesus is Christ. It denies it's anyone who denies the gospel and the power of the gospel to save. It is anyone who goes it is anyone who goes against anti against it goes against Christ. But that's not who he's talking about here. So it's not Satan because he says this is this is a lawless one is according to Satan's working. So this is somebody this is somebody that's working within Satan's purview. But again, if you're listening or watching or, or taking part in the class of the book of Job, you know that God will not allow anything. His permissive will, God's permissive will allows us to be tempted, right? Only within the bounds of what we're able to stand. But will with the temptation do what? Offer a way of escape. So within God's permissive authority, within God's permissive authority, because God does not tempt, man is tempted when he's, te- he's drawn away by his own lust, right? 
So God does not tempt. Neither down here, and this is, it's unfortunate that in verse 11, and we'll talk about this next week, God sends them a working of error that they should believe a lie. God does not, God does not, God does not send you a lie. That is not within his will. That is not within his will. When it says that, and we'll talk about this again next week, this is just something for you to chew on this week. When, God, when the Bible says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, what does that mean? Moses had come to God. He allowed him. He allowed his permissive authority, God's permissive authority. So if you believe a lie, when you know the truth, there's going to be a point at which, is, which God is going to say, within my permissive will, I'm going to allow you to, I'm going to, allow you to believe that lie. Does that mean you can't repent? No, that means you, you can repent from that sin, that lie, from believing that lie, and come back to God. But if you live a lie, and you believe that lie, God is going to allow that lie to go on he, by his, with his, within his permissive will. And this is, an, this, is an ex, this is an extremely complex set of thoughts to think about, because we know God does not lie. It's not within his will. It's not within his, his making, his makeup, just as we know that God does not tempt anyone. And so he did not tempt Job. Within his permissive will, he allowed Job to be tempted by Satan. The same, the same, works, for, the same works for you and I today. Job, if, if for no other reason, is, is another one of those great uh, Bible stories that shows us how things happen behind the scenes. God puts a hedge around us as Christians. He protects us. But that doesn't mean he doesn't allow Satan to tempt us. Because we live in a fallen world. We live in a world filled with sin. When you go outside these doors today, you're going to be subjected to everything that the world has to throw at you. And so if you believe something that's not the truth, and this is my, his, Jesus said, my word is truth. So if you believe this, you believe the truth. But if you believe something other than this, then you're believing a lie. And within God's permissive authority, he's just going to say, well, if you're going to believe that lie, I've told you the truth. If you choose not to believe it, then you're just going to go on your own way. He's not going to stop you from doing that. He's going to let you continue to believe lies. So we'll pick up there next week. But think about some of these concepts during the week. Think about God's permissive will. Think about this lawless, this man of lawlessness, this man of perdition. And then we'll try to put some final touches on who that might be because we don't know for sure, but there are certainly a lot of things that point toward uh, some things that are coming in, in the future with regard to history.